This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Today on our Late Boomers podcast, our guest is Sandra Yancey, an award-winning entrepreneur, international business owner, ABC radio show host, author, movie producer, speaker, and philanthropist who is dedicated to helping women achieve and succeed. She's the founder and CEO of eWomen Network, the number one resource for connecting and promoting women and their businesses in North America. And many of our listeners will know Sandra as the CEO and co-founder of eWomen Network, which has been helping women achieve their dreams for 20 years now. Her conferences and speaking engagements traverse the globe, and her mastermind retreats are famous and popular. One of her most recent enterprises is helping one million women do one million dollars in annual revenue. Sandra, say hello to our listeners. It's so great to be with you ladies. What a fun day we're going to have. Absolutely. It's great to have you. We always like to talk a little bit with our guests about their backgrounds. You've been very open about your early life. Can you tell us about that? Well, I'm just a small town farm girl, to be real honest with you. I'm first generation American. My mother was from Mexico, um, Lopez, um, and my uh, father was French Canadian. And um, they they met uh, in Detroit, Michigan, of all places, when my father was in uh, construction and GM was building, you know, its headquarters there. And so he was in home construction. My mother. Uh, left Mexico, came to the United States, and she went to Detroit because of GM. She was a, a seamstress. Uh, she she made men's shirts, custom men's shirts with French cuffs. And so um, she figured that that would be a great place to, you know, find men that, you know, wanted custom shirts made. And they, they met each other. That they, is such a brilliant idea on her part, right? <laughs> right. She was a little entrepreneur. I, it took yeah. me a while to really put all that together, you know? And um, just this little four foot, eight inch Maria Lopez woman who was pretty shy and relatively insecure. Um, and, uh, you know, just did her thing. I mean, when we when we moved to Ohio um, before I, before I was born, they moved to Ohio, and uh, you know there was no uh, mass transit or anything like that. My mother couldn't get a driver's license because while she could speak English, she couldn't read it well enough to get a driver's license. You know, words like intersection and yield are fancy words when that's not your, you yeah. know, uh, natural language. So. 
You know, my father died on my birthday when I uh, turned five years old. He was killed instantly oh. in a car accident. And oh. so I never really had a chance to get to know him. And, you know, my mom was left with three kids. And I had a brother just 13 months older than me that was born with a major heart condition. And so there was a lot of energy and effort, as I recall, just, you know, whenever Ricky could sleep, um, that you know, everybody was quiet so as not to, you know, wake him since it was so hard for him to sleep. And so it was just a different, a different kind of environment to be raised, you know, and uh, so certainly no, no pedigree and no silver spoon and no one to bankroll a dream. But nonetheless, you know, I, I credit my mother for you know, she she wasn't formally educated, but she, my she was a wise woman. You know, and uh, and she raised me, I think, to have a double dose of confidence—the confidence that she wanted me to have—and and then um, you know the confidence she wished she'd had. Right. Brilliant. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and your husband, Kim Yancey, yeah, works right alongside you, and yeah. the two of you found the space in your lives to raise a family. Can you talk a little about what it took to do that? You, I, you are known for getting angry about the statement, you can't have it all. I know, I know, <laughs> I, I am. I, I feel like we really do a, mis, a disservice to women to think that they can't have, be in a healthy relationship and have great relationships with their kids and also have girlfriends. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we can't do it all. So we need to focus on the things that are important. And what I know is that, you know, what gets taken for granted gets taken away. And so when you zero on, in on what, what is important, I think you'll, you, you just always find time for the things you decide is important. So my, I met my husband when I was a senior in high school. Um, I was 17 years old and he was five years older and he was in a band on Capitol Records, a drummer. And I mean, he just opened up a world for me that this small town farm girl had no clue about. My mother was fit to be tied about the whole thing. And she was like, that man is up to no good. She was right. <laughs> and that was the fascination for me, you know, and she was like, you know, you're not going to marry that man. And so I did. <laughs> I told you about that confidence thing she gave me. And um, so anyway, we've been together, you know, 42 years now. And we have two children. Our daughter now works in the firm. I just became a grandmother for the very first time. And can I just tell you, oh, that's the best thing ever. Never, ever could I have ever imagined. And I was excited about Tatiana when Brianna was pregnant, but you know, she is just, um, she's just a major distractor factor for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you set aside, friend, you, you set know? aside half of work days to see her when it gets yeah i'm actually decided i'm taking off every friday from now to the end of the year and i'm gonna spend you know at least half of my day with tatiana and and uh she's just uh, just a little little buttercup and i just can't tell you um you know just the the difference in the life she's brought it's our first holiday she was just born in august you know, so this mm -hmm. will be our first holidays with her. And we're just, um, it's pretty all consuming. I feel like I'll be permanently distracted for the next uh, 2040 if I live that long. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. And your daughter Brianna is now working with you, right? 
Yeah, she's the creative director in the firm. So never could I have ever imagined that either, you know. And um, she, her office is right next door to mine. And it's just wonderful to be able to be and see her every day. And then her nanny brings little Tatiana. And we have the threesome. And Travis, her husband, is a competitive triathlete. And so, you know, he, for example, is in two weeks is, is going to be racing. And so I'm going to go spend the night. It'll be the three of us, just the three girls hanging out. And Kim will do something with our son, Ryland. And um, it's just a really wonderful season, the season that we're all in, I find, you know. What a, okay. what a good role model you are for your children and grandchildren or grandchild yeah. and for everyone to yeah. have you do have it all how did you start eWomen network and how has it evolved from the beginning well you know mary that's a really interesting question because um you know i i started it because we lived in a small town dayton ohio we moved to dallas i thought i lived in the big d when i lived in dayton <laughs> and uh, then i moved to dallas i was like oh my gosh you know this is unbelievable i had a consulting practice i'd left corporate america i had a consulting practice my children were very little ryland was just a year old just turning a year old and brianna was four and a half and uh, when we moved, uh, when 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 we decided that we were going to make a change and we were going to move here, and and I thought to myself, when I lived in Ohio, I had I had a really sexy portfolio of clients. I mean, I had um, AT and T and NCR and Dow Jones and Coca Cola and uh, Levi Strauss and John Deere and really great portfolio of clients. The problem was that I had in some in some ways recreated my nightmare and maybe even made it a little worse because um, when I was in corporate America, I was traveling a lot when I decided to have a family, I wanted to get off the road. And so I thought, oh, I'll start my own business. But the way the work that I did um, was uh, re-engineering processes and that kind of thing just really took me to major corporations. So now I was traveling, only I didn't have the benefits of a secretary or a help desk or somebody to book my travel or, you know what I mean, make my copies. So now I was doing it all kind of thing. And I, I noticed really, honestly, the big shift for me was I noticed that anytime I ever wanted to go on vacation, my business stopped because it was only me. And I, and I thought to myself, there had to be a, a better way. And so when we moved to Dallas, I thought at first, oh my gosh, I mean, this is going to be so easy. It's world headquarters for Frito-Lay and the, you know, Texas Instruments. And uh, um, I mean, there was just all these huge companies. There's a Cadbury Schweppes, you know, area and Ross Perot had his big EDS and uh, complex. I thought, gosh, I'll, I'll be home every night. I won't have to I won't have to travel. And then um, I, but I didn't have a network here. I didn't know anybody. And it was Kim, mm. my husband that I give credit to. I mean, he really said to me, it was a real, it was a real poignant moment um, in my life when he said, you know, that they're probably flying people in to do what you do. They just don't know that you exist. You're like a soda can floating out in the middle of the ocean. No one knows you're here. And that was a real important light bulb moment for me because that's when I said, I have to network. And I, I didn't have to network before because I had worked for a major Fortune 500 company that had had a big layoff. And all of those people had gone to Coca-Cola and Levi Strauss and all these corporations. So 
that's how I got the clients. They remembered me. And when I came to Dallas, I didn't have that advantage. And so that's when I started networking. And I just found that, I mean, everybody was, I mean, this is Southern hospitality. Everybody was really sweet to me, but I just felt like a lot of the groups that were very male dominated were nice to me, but also kept me on the sidelines. You know, I wasn't really yes. invited to play on the field. And I felt like the women's groups were really social, which is also wonderful. But, you know, I just felt like if I'm going to be away from my kids um, and my husband, I want to make it worth my while. And where are the women that are like, well, if you could make a hundred thousand, why can't you make a million? Where are those women? Because the yeah. conversation is different. The choices are different. The risk is different. And I wanted to play in that space and I couldn't find it. And that's what made me decide to build it. Amazing. I love that. And can you tell us how does an entrepreneur determine his or her worth? Well, I think you, you have to start by putting a stake in the, in, in the sand. I mean, at some point you can look at, if you come out of corporate America, what were you making? You know what I mean? That's that you could start there and you could divide it by um, 2080, I think it is, and that, that gives you an hourly rate, or you can divide it by a, a daily rate, and, you know, uh, you want to make it worth your while. It's, it's you know, hard to, you know, build a, a little bit of an infrastructure so that you can, you know, make enough money so that you can hire people to do the things that you're just not good at, or you, plain and simple, have no business doing. It's the busy work and the administrivia, I think, that sometimes can really prevent us from moving into doing the things that make the 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 bigger checks, you know. And um, so you you have to start, you know. And then I would I would tag I would give yourself a thirty percent increase, <laughs> of course, <laughs> at least, right? And start from there. And then so now you have to say, okay, so you know how much is that a year? And then you just have to reverse engineer. I do think you kind of have to begin with the end in mind. And I. Know know a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs don't do that because they're afraid the number sounds so big they feel like they have so far to go but you know what you think about is what you bring about and what you you know give energy to is what grows and so you know you might as well think big if you got to think anyway and then begin to say okay so what would that look like if I want to make that amount of, if I want to make a hundred thousand dollars then you know as Stephen Covey said begin with the end of mind, let's say, okay, so now you've got, you know, you've got 12 months, you know, if you're starting at the first of the year, you know, how much do I really want to make, you know, a month? Now, you know, what I know about business is that it's not an even divided by 12. It's not one twelfth, you know what I mean? So yeah, money yeah. doesn't seem to, you know, flow that way. So you have to say, well, so what are my big launches or what are my big sales dates and what am I offering? How much do I want to make for that? How much then do I need to bank so that I'm not in feast or famine mode? So I plan it out. And then how long is that going to last? So what do I need to do in advance of that to have my next, you know, uh, purposeful payday so that I'm, I'm not, uh, so that I'm starting to see that things are, you know, averaging out in a way that creates not so much stress, right. And so much tension around always chasing the dollar. And when you get out of that mode, you start to really relax in doing the things that you really love and serving in a way that, really makes a difference, which creates more referrals, which creates, which creates more 
um, I think, more business. That's such good advice. Um, well, you, you mentioned a couple of things, and, and I think you may have touched on this, but what advice do you give to budding entrepreneurs? Um, and also, you mentioned that the conversation between wanting to make 100000 and a million is quite different, and I'm curious about that. So it's a twofold question. Okay, so the first one is budding entrepreneurs. So what I will say to you is, um, and I and I believe this, that all the fundamentals of business are all the same. And I know this from working with my client at Coca-Cola was the at the time the president Doug Ivester, and and I worked directly with the with the president of Coca-Cola, which is still the most recognized brand in the world. And the things that I worked on in Coca-Cola versus John Deere versus AT&T or NCR are still the same things that I that I work on in the business. It's just that the zeros are different, but the things you have to pay attention to are the same. And as you pay attention to them, the zeros start to mount. And so I would say, number one, you need to know that no one makes it alone. There, nobody makes it alone. And so, you know, getting really clear on the people that you're going to hang, hang around with. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. So you've got to make sure that you're really evaluating, you know, who are you listening to? Because there's a lot of people that are comfortable with your smallness. And they sometimes love you. These are the people that sometimes love you the most, and uh, which which creates an angst. And really, it's coming from a place of safety. They don't want you to risk too much. They don't want you to get too hurt. They don't want you to fail because we've been taught in our society that failure is the opposite of success. When in truth, that's not true. That's false. That's a lie. The truth is failure and success are on the same road. It's just that success is a little bit farther down. And when you fail, it's really, I believe, the universe's way of saying, this is a really important lesson that you need to learn right now. And so I'm going to teach it to you now before the stakes get too big and the, the implications and the costs are too great. So if you be open, if you're open, you can learn from this and chances are you'll see it again and you'll be just that much more wiser, right? That's what wisdom gives us, yeah. experience, right? The hindsight. So people, who are the people? Um, and I just, I, I believe in coaching. I have four coaches. I belong to a mastermind group. I invest heavily in my own mindset, and my own development, because I can't model it for my team and my staff if I'm not doing it for myself. So people. The second thing is priorities. I would say as a budding entrepreneur, get clear on the things that matter. You know, there's a lot about the busyness of business, the administrivia that can totally suck up your time. And before you know it, you really don't have anything to show for all that you put into your day. And you get you get more behind that way because the list keeps growing. You get one thing done, but 10 things get added. So every day, every day, I ask myself, what are the three most important things I have to accomplish today? that move the business forward, that make the cash register ring. And I don't go to bed until those three things are done. So it really helps me manage my time because I've now learned not to get caught up in the small talk and the stuff that isn't moving the business forward because I don't wanna be up till one o'clock in the morning, right? I wanna be able to go home and have a nice dinner with my husband and you know do the things that we do. And I don't wanna be stuck and I, and I will not go to bed until my three things are done. So the night before, I have my three things written down and I don't go to bed until those three things are done. And I require that my team Monday, Wednesday, Friday, everybody gets on Slack uh, and we all report in what are the three things that we're dealing with today and this week. Tuesdays, we talk about our project management. What are my handoffs that are going to impact you once I get this done? 
because uh, nobody operates in a silo. And then the, the uh, on Thursdays, we do what we call technology meetings. How do we, what needs to be automated? What are we doing repetitively that is just taking up time and really pulling us away from uh, being able to do more? So we talk, we're always talking about how we automate. So priorities. The third thing I would say is plate. What's on your plate? Because I believe in balance and I'm rarely in balance because I'm imperfectly perfect. I'm never, I'm never perfect. So, um, but because <laughs> I, I thought believe, you were, no, I thought no. you were perfect. <laughs> no, no, far from it, far from it actually. But because I believe in balance, I notice when I'm out of it. If you don't believe in it, then you'll prove yourself to be true and you won't do anything about it. Because I believe in it, I start to feel the tension of I'm out of balance. We just finished a huge three-day virtual event. I was pretty out of balance. But what it did is it made me come back and say, you know what, for the rest of the year, I'm gonna take Friday off and spend at least half that time with my brand new granddaughter and some other things that I've been wanting to do. You know what I'm saying? So that I feel like I'm back in balance and I've got some rewards for all the work that I've just done for the last three weeks, okay? Yeah, I've um, heard a lot of people during the pandemic come to this conclusion, like to pause, yeah. think, like yeah. where are my priorities? You yeah, know? it's easy to, I think it's easy to lose your boundaries. I couldn't man it. I don't work out of my home. I have three quarters of a floor in a Dallas tower here. Um, not that I can't work from home, but I, I find that um, it's very easy for me to lose my sense of boundaries because the office is right there. It's just so easy to be in there, to do one more thing, you know, kind of thing. And I, I'm one of these people that have a need. I can manage my life better when I compartmentalize things. It's not that I don't work from home, um, but I'm so clear when I'm here that this is all that I'm doing. And you know, Warren Buffett said one of the things that he values most in anybody that he wants to have work for him is their ability to focus, yeah. right? And I think as women, this is a huge women's issue because we, you know, we talk about multi uh, multitasking like we've like it's a badge of honor. When the truth of the matter is, psychologists will tell you there's really no such thing as multitasking. There isn't. Ah. You really are changing your mind to do this, 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 this. You know, you're, and so you're never giving any one thing your full focus. Yes. You exactly. know, and so what you think you are, but you aren't, and it isn't until you test it that you know it to be true. So when I'm here at the office, I'm not doing anything else but this. And so I do think that I get done a lot more. I know that I get done a lot more, even on a Saturday, if I'm really pressed and I have a, head, a heavy deadline, I'll come into the office. There's something about this office that just tells me zero in and focus and don't get distracted. And when I'm home, I'm like, maybe I'll throw in a load of laundry real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we all do that. And Let me start dinner. You know, or the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll go for, you know, some chapstick or something. I can't find chapstick before you know it, I'm cleaning out a drawer. I mean, it's just like amazing. Yeah, when you take that kind something. of drive into your house, I'd yeah, like yeah, to have yeah, you yeah, in yeah. my house and have you sort out my house. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, like, or I'll do laundry and then, I, I mean, I'll do the, and I'll notice that I'm missing a sock. And before you know it, I'm spending 20 minutes to find that other <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's just craziness, the things, you know. Um, and so I would say to you for, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So I would say the fourth thing is product. 
You know, I don't, I believe that every business is in business to deliver and you have to know what your product or service is and it needs to be reimagined and re-innovated. You don't have to invent anything. Let's just be real clear. Jeff Bezos did not invent shopping. He did not invent bookstores. Sarah Blakely did not invent girdles. She just renamed them Spanx. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs did not invent phones. He just took dumb ones and made them smart. I mean, it's all about just innovating, finding things that currently exist that could work better. Right. And then I would say the fifth thing is your processes, your systems and processes. So, you know, how is it that you automate things so that you can move faster? You know, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then finally, you know, your performance. Are you measuring the things that matter? And that includes your own satisfaction. It's not just about the balance sheet. Are you happy doing what you do? And if you aren't, what are you going to do about it? Absolutely. Great. I wanted to ask you, how important is it to invest in personal development? the most important thing I think that you can do without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I, I, I have four coaches, different coaches. I'm leaving, you know, um, in 24 hours to go spend four days with my coach. I spent three days coaching others for some really long days on my, um, in my, uh, um, virtual event that I just did success reimagined, you know, ignite your impact. I think it's, uh, I, you know, most billionaires have been made in, you know, economies that are really struggling and we're in a struggling environment right now. And I think that a lot of people are leaning back, which is the opportunity to really lean in. I think you'll have the fewest amount of competitors that you have um, right now because so many people are pulling back. And I just, I wanna take advantage of that and seize the moment. Um, a dear friend of mine um, that I think you know intimately, Kathy, <laughs> your husband Ken taught me that it's easier to do the impossible than it is the possible. And, and right now I do think you need to accelerate your digital presence because it's more crowded than it's ever been. Everybody's gone there. So it's full of a sea of sameness. So it's a real opportunity to reinvent and, and decide how you're going to show up differently so that you really can stand out and be seen. Wow. Just a few little things we can all do. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Just a couple of things. Any, yeah. any additional thoughts on that as far as uh, growing your presence in that? Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, I, I think that everybody that goes into business at some level is an expert, would see themselves as an expert. You know, uh, when I talk to people and I ask them what they do and they say they are a website developer, it's because they often have worked for someone creating websites and they finally said, well, I can, why, why am I making them money? Let me go out and build websites and I'll build my own empire except that it's not that easy because if you that's all you're doing is creating websites then how are you building infrastructure right mm -hmm. um, how are you building a pipeline for new people to come in how are you you know when are you spending the time to develop the relationships so that you can submit the proposals and then you've got all the factoring in of you know what happens when somebody doesn't love the first thing that you've given them and you've sized it wrong now you're spending way more hours than you thought you were going to be spending and then now you've got to bill them you know and then they're not paying and so how do you you now spend time collecting, you know, or working out payment plans because COVID hit and, you know, their business crashed and they don't, they couldn't make the, they can't make the payments anymore. Then. And so it's never, I think, uh, what people see. I think the opportunity is when you realize that, you know, there's the sea of sameness, which I call the experts. And that, and those are the people that have kind of a mastery. They developed a sense of mastery over a set of skills, um, a, a set of information. And, 
You know, influencing, on the other hand, is developing mastery over others. You know, how is it that you move from just being a content expert or a wizard at, you know, whatever the shtick is that you do and now influence others? Um, and that creates that that's where your lead generation really kicks in. And there's no business that exists without some form of forms of uh, generating constant leads into their organization. Talk about getting over fears of failure or change or success or of feeling like a lot of women do who are going through the the glass ceiling yeah imposters yeah well i think imposter syndrome i think mary is a um you know is is par for the course it's part of the journey and anytime you find yourself moving from one level to the next level you know this i i've actually named her my stinking thinking i've named her i call her critical christina and i (laughs) i call her that because i want to separate her from sandra it reminds me that she's not really a part of me. She is part of an imaginary thing that's in my head. And, and, and I've never been able in 20 years, been able to really get rid of her, but I have learned to manage her. You know, it kind of like I manage grief. You know, I, I, I was very close to my mother. It was me and her against the world for a really long time. And I took care of her. I moved her here to Dallas. I took care of her for her last, you know, five years of life. And it was because I developed an infrastructure that, you know, when the time was coming, we didn't know when, like most people, we didn't know when, but we knew that the time was coming and that she was going to be you know, transitioning and uh, she was going to be leaving her earthly body. And I felt a little tension in my, in my mother. And I asked her, is there anything left undone? Is there anything that you're worried about or what you need? And she said, I, you know, I'm not afraid of dying, but I, I, I am afraid of, uh, she said, I'm not afraid of heaven, but I am afraid of dying. And I said, what would make it what, because you can't get to heaven unless you die. So what would, what, what could we do? Um, that would help the the dying process, the dying part, better for you. And she said, if you were there and you were holding me, and I said, I will be there and I will hold you. And I and when it was clear that that my mother was dying, I I never left her. I never left her. And I was doing when she took her last breath. I was doing the thing that she loved most, and that was I was uh, rubbing her feet. I was laying across. Bed, the end of the bed and I was rubbing her feet and when she wasn't taking a breath anymore I got up and I crawled in bed with her and I held her and I tried to tell her that I was celebrating her but I wasn't I was already in a massive amount of grief um, knowing that I would never hear her voice again and touch her once they took her from me again and um, but what I can tell you is just like right now when I think about missing my mom I get um, really sad really fast. But when I think about remembering her, and that's, the, that's where that management piece comes in. When I think about, instead of dwelling on missing her, and I start remembering her, um, I can get really happy because there's just so much of you know, who I am because of her. And she's just always there for me. You know what I mean? Still, you know, I just have these conversations with my mother in a new different way. I don't hear her voice. Um, but I feel her, you know, I feel her messaging. 
you know, and I know that she's always there. And so I've learned to manage, you know, um, disappointment and I, I, and the imposter syndrome, you manage it, you don't uh, ever really overcome it. And I think one of the big things about failing is that women have a tendency to over-personalize it, you know, and, um, and I think that that's a, a really important trait that the super successful people uh, really learn how to manage. They, it distinguishes them from, you know, people that really get stuck in, and then they start to fear any other risk. And, you know, super successful people have managed uh, that failure in such a way that they look at it as, as an incident, you know, and, and not, you know, some kind of, um, you know, permanent declaration. I also, I also feel like, you know, they embrace trial and error. I, I do think that is during COVID. I mean, I, I talked about this um, at length uh, to a bunch of entrepreneurs. I do think that this is a time for us to, you know, accelerate taking calculated risks. I've never been an advocate for being reckless, but I do think that this, we've got a window of time to jump into something and move that next level while, while people are pulling back and get better reaper, bigger rewards than normal, you know? And I, and I also think that, you know, failure goes back to, you know, uh, just, you know, if you have really importantly, important strategically uh, deep relationships, I think you're so much better off. I mean, I, I foster the relationships that are important to me. I make myself available uh, to people that need me, that want me. And sometimes they'll ask me for a favor when I'm really busy. But I, I always just, you know, you know, Kathy and Mary, there's just always time for the things you decide are important. And they're just real important relationships that I will always make time for, you know? And, and, yeah. and I think women need to get over it because you know what? We are the ones that if you really want something done, you give it to a really busy woman, right? Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. That is always for sure. That's all the time we have for this episode, but we have lots more to talk with Sandra about. Be sure to listen in on the second part of this amazing conversation in our next episode. for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. 
So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.